You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. How does the offer of free beer sound to you? Well, as a loyal listener of this show, we'd like to reward you uh, for listening to our show. Uh, And we're going to start doing it now with free beer, as my previous sentence implied. Thanks to our friends at beer52.com. That's beer52.com. You have the opportunity to sip eight free exclusive craft beers and it's not just a sip you get the whole thing because there's no point in opening it if you're just gonna have a sip and then throw it away so it's eight eight free exclusive craft beers from all around the world all you need to do is go to beer52.com forward slash west ham and cover just 4.95 for the postage and what's more stop hammer time listeners get two beers free so that's a total of 10 free beers with just the postage uh, so B52, uh, who are they, you're asking? Beer52.com forward slash West Ham. They are pioneers traversing the globe to find the best and most interesting beer from the greatest small batch breweries planet Earth has to offer. So no surprise then that they are the world's most popular craft beer discovery club. Each month, Beer52, Beer52, deliver a case with a different theme. Themes have included Germany. Korea. These are names of countries. Germany, Korea, Norway. Not themes in a way, they're, they're names of countries. Germany, Korea, Norway, South Africa. Calif- that's not a, California is not a country. California is a state. So Germany, Korea, Norway, South Africa, the state of California, Finland, and many, many more countries and states. But not states of mind or states of well-being. States like um, Arizona. But not Arizona, California. Germany, Korea, Norway, South Africa, California, Finland, and many more. But they haven't forgotten their roots. As an independent UK company, ah, so their roots are in the UK. Beer 5.2 are also passionate about the UK craft beer scene. The UK craft beers, like like UK garage. But not as violent. The beauty of Beer 5.2 is that they don't hold you to ransom. There's no lock-in and you can leave any time. Your first box will be sent to you next day. As well as the best, most interesting beer money can buy, your case will include the award-winning craft beer magazine, Ferment. Which is a play on words, Jim, isn't it? Jim, you're... Um 
Yeah, lovely. Yeah, yeah good. It's play on words. Yeah. Ferment, which explains the theme an individual beers you'll receive and a cheeky... Oh, Jim's here, by the way. Uh, you'll receive and a cheeky snack is thrown in just to top it all off. You don't like dark beers? Well, choose the light plan. Easy. Go to beer52.com forward slash West Ham to get your first case of eight beers for free. And don't forget, customers get an extra two unmissable beers free. That's beer52.com forward slash West Ham. I thank you. Hello and welcome to Stop Hammer Time. Last night we were beaten heavily by the worst Arsenal team ever. Uh, Manuel Pellegrini um, saw signs of positivity, uh, as did Jim Grant. Feels that uh, uh, Pellegrini should be given at least another season and a half to uh, to apply uh, his trade as uh, manager of the team. We'll discuss this on the podcast. Uh, uh, with me are uh, Jim Grant, the Good aforementioned evening. Jim Grant. Hello, Jim. Yeah, hello. Uh, and also. Now, Jim, your favourite QC is Quentin Crisp. Uh, my favourite QC, <laughs> my favourite QC is Britain's greatest legal brain, who is with us again. It is Simon Pentel. Good evening. He's also my favourite Queen's Council. So there we are. There we we are. agree on something, Phil. Excellent. Now, uh, you were just saying before we switched the microphones on uh, that uh, we had David Cross on last week, and you were at that Spurs game. Jim, yep. did you go to that? The four? No, that game? was in my sort of my university fallow years mm-hmm. when I didn't get to many games. Mm-hmm. So um, no, I didn't. And Unfortunately, I, was, I wish I had. And I, I went just, to the four-one. Oh, the Dixie scored. Um, where the Dixie, no, Ray Stewart uh, scored Steve a Jones screamer. Scored, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. No, but that game, that four-nil game, um, I think it was the season we had been promoted, mm-hmm. and we played at home. First game against Brighton, we drew one all. Yes. And the Wednesday night, our first game, of the, our second game of the season, our first game away was at White Hart Lane, and we won four-nil. And Crossy, of course, scored all scored four. four. And I was just saying that the most beautiful sound was when the third one went in with about 20 minutes to go and all those old chairs flipping back as the Tottenham fans yeah. made their way in despair. Wooden, down, wooden chairs. Down Tottenham High Road mm-hmm. and it was absolutely fantastic. And of course, one of those goals was a tremendous volley that Crossy scored and stuck it in the top bins, as they say now, from a volleyed pass from his lordship, Brooking. Um, it was a memorable, yeah. memorable Wednesday night. Mm. He was uh, he was really nice uh, across on the phone. He was really, really uh, interesting. Really and I think as well, from, from what I know of him and having listened to that interview you did with him, Phil, um, like a lot of players who on field have a one type of persona, actually are quite quiet off it. Yeah. Um, so he, for all the psycho persona... Actually, he's quite a reasonable and nice and likable guy off-field in the same way that Bonzo, for all Mm -hmm. the um, belligerent and bellicose behaviour and that real hard man made of steel stuff that he did for 21 years at West Ham on-field, off it, very quiet, erudite, um, wouldn't go out socialising, preferred to sit at home with a good book and put his feet up. But on-field, absolute, you know, monster. So, well, in fact, Cross had a little bit of a, uh, a reputation as a reader. And of, well, often, that's football, right. often football identifies readers. Robert Green, obviously. Robert Green uh, used to read the Guardian. Graham Lasso, the crossword, seen as a reader. Yeah. Um, and uh, if they read the, the, the <laughs> well, other players, well, yeah. there was. A, I mean, there was a time, of course, when anyone who knew their ABCs was considered to be a real smart aleck. Yeah. And I can recall a time. 
um, I think you may too, Jim, that if anyone had actually had the temerity to have either passed their A-level, such as Trevor Brooking, mm. um, which was why he was always considered particularly bright and a mm. bit of a toff, merely because he could string three words together Mm-mm. without using an expletive and the word and, yeah. um, was considered a bit of a toff and a public schoolboy, although of mm. course he wasn't because we went to the same mm. school, so it certainly weren't a public school. And... Steve Highway, who famously yeah. played for Liverpool. Yeah, and Brian Hall, the two, the two BAs in the, in the um, That's right, Liverpool team, Liverpool in, team in the 70s. And, the, and Stevie yeah. Coppel went to university. Yeah. And at the Dowie. time... Er- Dowie was... He had a degree yeah, yeah, in engineering. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was considered yeah. quite a thing. Mm-hmm. Just, uh, it was... Uh, I read somewhere that uh, both Ogbonna and Obiang were doing degrees. They're doing yeah. part-time. Oh, what well, actually just at the moment studying whilst yeah, being football? Yeah, whilst being football. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, we're so, always so we, we're always getting the third degree. <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah. So we um, so we uh, we played possibly one of the worst Arsenal teams that ever. So by by that mathematics, the the one with Thierry Henry and uh, Petit and Vieira should have beaten us twenty three. Oh well, they probably would have done. Maths. To be honest, yeah. I mean the first half especially was bizarre. Almost like a training game. Almost like a pre-season. Well, I think it, I think it was worse than that because um, we were having a couple of beers at halftime, and the group was and, and all agreeing that this must have been the worst Arsenal team that had visited West Ham at home in anyone's living memory. Yeah, and it was worse than a training ground. Actual fact, I thought they were more like a team of Hackney Marshes. Yeah. No insult to Hackney Marshes on a Sunday than the Arsenal, mm. who are renowned even for their fallow years, and there have not been that many of them. Although that clown off Arsenal fan TV, Robbie Lyle or whatever, would suggest that it's, uh, it's the worst thing ever. They, they've reached an apocalyptical state. Uh, no, you haven't. You've been the greatest club team in, in Europe for the last hundred years. Get over yourself. Mm. Bleat over. Um, but they've always been well-organised and polished and well-marshaled, even if they haven't been hugely successful. The first 45 minutes, they were a train wreck. They were a shambles. Yeah. And, and, you know, we really, really... They were, you know, if ever there was a team, you know, there for the taking... Oh, absolutely. And we should have absolutely gone for the juggler. We, we should have pressed, we should have been right in their faces we're finding and, and we uh, were we played at walking pace we're finding inventive new and inventive ways to be bad aren't we yeah. because that what what happened yesterday was that um um we sort of played this high line and they just passed it sideways each other to each other in front of us with no uh, forward ambition. But uh, but we seem not to do the last bit of playing a high line, which is sort of close them down and make it hard for the goalkeeper and uh, defenders to clear well, it. So there was just this weird attritional thing, kind of where they had. 65% possession, but in, you know, their third of the pitch. It was yeah. bizarre. A lot it of it happened bizarre. in front of us. I was just wondering if, if yeah. Freddie Bloomberg had actually come up with a master plan, which went something like this. Listen, guys, be absolute shit in the first 45 minutes. Mm. We'll, they're so bad, they, they won't score more than one goal. And we'll lull them into this ridiculous <laughs> false sense of security that it, they'll think they can just play their way through for the next 45 minutes and will do nothing, forgetting that they've got a couple of fantastic forwards and all mm. we've got to do is actually lull them into this full sense. They'll give us the ball. They can't defend their flanks, right or left. We'll, get, we'll shovel one across the middle and we'll score three goals in nine minutes and that'll be the end of it. Yeah. And that's precisely what happened. The yeah. bizarre thing was we started the second half 
a bit better, didn't we? We, we, we were actually, yeah. we were, well, we were con- really controlling the game, I yeah, thought, we were, yeah. until they scored. Yes. Um, uh, and then we just, we, we fell apart. Yeah. The defence, it was like they were made of toilet paper, wasn't it? They just, they just, they just, they evaporated. It was... But our, our one goal was, was a, you know, quite a sort of fluky goal from one of our centre-backs, which took a big deflection. Yeah, he just didn't he, really he look... gets his head on it in the yeah, box, doesn't he? but we he, didn't on, look like... Scoring. I mean, no, I think really. our, not really. you know, Pellegrini's sort of philosophy is predicated on attacking the other team's goal. And what's happened in the last, you know, month or two is that um, all of our attacking players look just drained of any well, confidence. Well, I thought Antonio was, I mean, he did his usual, put in his usual shift, but I thought he was, he was disappointing last night. I, I, Chambers absolutely had him in his pocket yeah. the whole game. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, He's isolated again. So with the whole mistake, you know. So now we've got a player who came back into the team with energy and yep. and verve and was brilliant at Chelsea. Gave Chelsea defence the absolute runaround at Stamford Bridge. Suddenly there he was, isolated, coming, having to come deep to get the ball, yeah. wanting to be involved, but but and. and you know, you can see the confidence is going to drain away from him. But as well. he, he spent more time, I thought, defending in yes, our box than he did posing a goal threat in theirs. Absolutely. Yeah. And for that, I suppose credit is due to him because he was one of the few players in a claret and blue shirt last night that showed any real endeavour and desire not to lose, let alone win. Yeah. So full credit for that. But. You know, unless it's defending set pieces, your centre-forward shouldn't actually have to be covering for your centre-backs out of possession. I'm sorry, that's no. not really how no, it's meant to be. Not. No, absolutely. No. No, it, it, no. I mean, it, it, the malaise is... I mean, clearly, now, the Chelsea game now looks like a... A distant memory. Like, a, like a, an aberration, yeah. in a way. Yeah. And yet, you know, at the time, we thought, oh, right, OK, this is well, how we, we are. To, this is yeah. how, this is, we're getting back on it. Yeah. You know, we got rid of the, the clown of a goalkeeper... Um, uh, everyone's got up to support uh, Martin in goal, yeah. and uh, we've run around and put a shift in. You know, well, Rice in fact, we, was superb at Stanford. We, uh, it was tremendous. But I think that that there were too many individual battles. So at Stanford Bridge, um, you know, it was a huge day for David Martin um, for obvious reason. His father's a legend at West Ham. He'd always ever wanted to play for West Ham, and there he was playing for West Ham at the age of thirty-two, thirty-three. At Stanford Bridge for Declan Rice, of course, against Chelsea, it's a particularly yeah. important yeah. game for him. He's got his best football mate on the other side. He was rejected by Chelsea, and there's that huge element of "I'm going to show you what yeah. you've missed here." And I, I always suspected that Deck was going to have a pretty good game that day. And he did, but and he did indeed. Um, and I thought he ran the whole midfield. You know, Nobs put in a shift as you would expect in that game, and it all just sort of worked. We got a bit fortunate that Chelsea were a little bit off colour. Um, but, you know, it wasn't really turning a corner and, no. um, that was demonstrated in the first 10 minutes at Molyneux, um, last Wednesday that yeah. we turned no corner at all. And all we've done is reverse around the same bleeding corner yeah. and ended up where we were for the preceding seven games. Absolutely. It was a blip, wasn't it? I mean, you, you know, we sort of said last week, I think that it's a bit like, you know, when you, um, get a break in tennis, it's actually the next game that's the important yes. one. Yeah. And, uh, we just didn't turn up at Molyneux. We and just... what is really terrifying is hand on heart. 
I can't see where the next win is going to come from. No, no, it's. Um, mm. I mean, you know, our our attacking unit is just uh, utterly drained of confidence, isn't it? Uh, we, we um, you know, Halea came on uh, and he was invisible. Didn't change anything. He's invisible. Mean, nothing, nothing changed. When he I mean, on. last night, we, you know, they talk about transition in modern football, don't they? But last night we were winning the ball, and they were giving the ball away That's a lot. Exactly it. We were winning the ball. In, and we were intercepting the ball and thinking, right, and the crowd would go, eh, and, and then they, somebody would just slow the game down. Yeah. Um, and we'd allow them all to get back into defensive positions. We, we just need to play with the kind of pace and verve that we, at times, were playing with last season. With well, the same, more or less the same set of players hmm. under the same manager. Something has gone... Terribly wrong. Disastrously and, wrong. And it's becoming a bit toxic, but it's... It's that it's happened so quickly. It's like a fissure that has just spread yep. in, in the space of two months. If you take it from winning at home so comfortably against Man United, um, where the scoreline, I actually think, flattered them. We could have, we could have scored yeah, we four or five. Yeah, yeah. And thinking, right, and I was the first to admit it. I thought we had a you know, solid back four. Obviously, Fabianski was in goal. Rice and um, Noble looking solid in the midfield. Alea was doing well up front. And it all seemed rosy. And within 45 minutes of Fabianski getting injured the following Saturday at Bournemouth, um, the wheels had come off and have come off at a frightening pace. And we are in crisis. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more about uh, where we go from here after this message. Hello and welcome to Seeing Red, a true crime podcast brought to you by me, Mark and my co-host Bethan. Each week we take a deep dive into the dark world of true crime. Cases have ranged from the murder of Christina Abbott, a high-class escort who was killed by a sadistic client, to the Peru 2, a pair of young women convicted of smuggling drugs in South America. Whilst always respectful to the victims of these crimes, we do like to tell each story in our own unique style, with humour and lots of f***ing swearing. Join us every Wednesday for a new episode of Seeing Red, a true crime podcast, wherever you get yours. Welcome back. Yes, well, we we didn't, uh, we absolutely didn't turn a corner with the Chelsea game, and in fact, uh, you know, the Molyneux game pretty much uh, substantiated what we'd been up to before that Chelsea game. And, and you know, these, these must-win games often do turn a corner, but this didn't. You know, yep. the, the um, Moyes' first uh, positive result was a Friday night, I think, draw against Leicester. Leicester. That's right. And um, the sense of positivity that that game produced, especially our second-half performance, the crowd got behind the team, and it did lead to an improvement. Things but, improved. Yeah. But we still that lost was, that was games, led. But, that know. was led, I think, by the crowd. That was the yeah. first night... Yes, it was. ...where the crowd almost said, right, we, we're in a stadium, we're in this bowl that we don't like, We've been criticised for not making enough racket. We're playing a team that's actually better than us. We're live on Sky and it's a bit bleeding embarrassing. We've got a manager that we really don't want, mm. having lost a manager we actually loved but wasn't good enough. So we're going to take control. And for 20 minutes solid, there was that defiance that really took me back 
I know some really like all our yesterdays, forgive me, to the FA Cup semi-final at Villa Park yeah. in yeah. 91, when that yeah. repetitive Billy Bonds, Clarence Blue Army chant went on, even though we were being annihilated. For having lost half a football. Yeah, and it yeah. just carried on. And the yeah, more yeah. goals we conceded, the louder it became. Yeah. And I think it was pretty similar to that. And I think the fans really set down a marker mm-hmm. um, in the Leicester game that, that turned that corner. Definitely. But it's not for us to pick up the players. I actually thought that the deal was the other way around. No, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and um, what's, you know, what has become apparent, uh, I mean, something I, uh, I think I said last week, if I remember to say it, was that something that is a kind of damning indictment of Pellegrini is that the, uh, our club record signing and second record signing, uh, Allaire and uh, Anderson, came under his tenure and they are stinking the place out. And they're two of the people that are supposed to help put the ball in the other team's goal. And, yep. and he predicates his style on attack. And, and it's just not happening. And I feel that the, um, you know, it's a, it's a little bit like under Bilic, the, it wasn't necessarily the defence that was causing us to ship goals. It was sort of the midfield was just not protecting the defence at all. The midfield was entirely porous. Midfield's a bit better this year, but we're, we're, we're now at this point where we're just not troubling them at the other that, end of the pitch. That, that game last night, we should have been out of sight yeah, by half right. time. That's right. The way Arsenal were, totally devoid of confidence, in a real mess. It was a six-pointer, wasn't it? With three points yeah. behind them. It's a London derby. It's under the lights. You've 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 come off the back of you know of beating Chelsea in another London derby. We desperately need it. They should have been absolutely all over Arsenal like a rash. I mean, yeah. it should have been a real high high tempo, high energy performance. The manager should have got them pumped up for that. They should have been pumped up for it. They came out and they strolled around. Yeah. And uh, it was a massively disappointing performance. I, I'm not one normally for blaming the manager for the fault of the players, but on this occasion, and I think now this has gone on far too many weeks in succession, you have to wonder, can he actually pick them up? I don't think he can. And I, no. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to say that the players look to me like they have absolutely no interest in protecting him. They're not playing for him. They're not playing for him, no. And unfortunately... I, I'm very much of the view that it now needs some drastic action. I know it's easy to say it because unless you have a replacement, it's a bit like shooting yourself in one foot and not having a shoe for the other foot. Yeah. But um, that's where we're at. But this cannot go on no. because if it carries on for much longer, we're going to be stunk, in the, in, not just in the bottom three, but we're going to be chasing Watford for the wooden spoon. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, it's heading in that direction. The, the, the trajectory is bad. It's really bad. And... It's not just a question of not being able to kind of motivate the players not playing for him. There's a tactical inflexibility there, a kind of stubbornness about formation and tactics um, that really, you know, in the end uh, is going to, you know, for me is the thing that, that, that marks him out. So I'm, I'm normally someone that says keep, keep managers, give them a chance. Most managers don't get enough time. But I think in this case you've got that toxic combination of apparently having kind of lost the support of the players. That seems evident on the pitch. But also, you know, he, he's not prepared to change things, to, to kind of to adapt the formation to suit the players that we've got available and fit. Um, there are some mystifying, um, choice, you know, sort of rotations. I, I still go back to that everything. I do not understand why Yarmolenko, having come in, started playing well, 
doing well for, in the international break for Ukraine is dropped for the Everton game. It made no sense to me well, whatsoever. But, but I think even more puzzling than that on taking out individual decisions was at home against Newcastle when the whole of <laughs> world football knows that Newcastle have a left winger with extraordinary pace. May not be the most blessed with skill, but my He's God, quick. can he run? Mm-hmm. And Zabba so Letta. he plays Zabba. That's unbelievable. Yeah. Bless him, who turns slower than Ken Livingstone's bendy buses. <laughs> and, and it was an embarrassment for a, a great Premier League full-back yeah. at his age and lack of pace to be confronted by this fella in a headband that's like the fucking roadrunner. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry. And that's yeah, just a non-sequitur. Yeah, hung out to dry, really. Mm. Uh, and uh, sorry, sorry. Uh, uh, But also, it's like, he. I feel he just doesn't really have the players for the formation he wants to play. No, and what, one is. thing he does have the players for is, um, is a kind of uh, Harry Redknapp-style three-at-the-back formation and i'm surprised that you know because obviously it's kind of a go-to if you're shipping goals to have one more central defender than you had it's a little bit of a kind of agricultural response but it does also create um a kind of team uh, setup that sometimes suits players you had when we did that three five uh that that three five two um with harry redknapp it was because we were accommodating Ial burkovich who was yes. in that? So you had, uh, you know, um, Unsworth, Rio Ferdinand, and Ian Pierce as your three backs. Then you had some wing backs, Sinclair, um, uh, Sinclair, and like Stuart Pierce or Nigel Winterburn. Um, then in front of them you had Lampard and Lomas. Yeah. In front yeah. of them, Berkovic. Then Hartson and Kitson up front. Yep. You know, and uh, so you could get, you could accommodate two up front. Uh, well, I think we've got the players for that's that. Exactly, I think we we've do. got the two. Yeah. We've got the two big, quick fellas to, to play up front in Antonio and Allaire. Yeah, we don't see them on the pitch together ever, um, uh, uh, and it, it feels to me that last night, you know, up against that Arsenal defence, you know, get stuck Look, in the bullet. Yeah. I'm a believer. We've that... got plenty of players who can play in the hole. Fournals could play there. Anderson could play there. You know, Lanzini when he comes back, we've got two quick. Fullbacks in Masuaku and Fredericks who are not so good defensively. Cresswell has shown that he can play on the left side we did of the back three Moyes, yeah. very well. You've got Ogbonna who's, who's well suited to playing in the centre of that formation because he wins headers. And Diop on the other and side. And Diop with a bit of pace to cover them on the other side. It, you know, and, 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 and very good, you know, very good central midfielders who, if, if, as long as they're not having to run up and down That's the pitch right, the whole yeah. time. I mean, the so, same... you know, that, that, to me, it makes sense. That, I'm that... a believer that players or the players you have, dictate the tactics. It's not the other way around. No. Otherwise you get in square, you know, your square peg, you're in square peg yeah. um, scenario. And we actually have the players to play a 3-5-2. And 3-5-2, if it's played the right way, can actually be quite attacking because you've got your two up front. And if you're playing with a three up front, your central forward does a lot of work on his own. So clear my throat and say it, Harry Kane Mm. works terrifically well because of the ability and the type of player he is at the top of that triangle of a three. It works perfectly. Jamie Vardy, exactly the same thing. But Allaire needs to play alongside or shortly, just ahead of somebody else, as he did before he joined us, where he had yeah, that yeah, fantastic Frankfurt, He's got the other guy, I forgot the guy's name, but he played with the, as a strike That's pair. exactly it. They played mm. as a pair. 
And, and, it's, and it was blindingly obvious when he joined that his great forte was playing in a two. So what, what do we do? We play him as a sole striker. Yeah. And he's not a sole striker. No, as it, uh, as it turns out. I mean, you've, we have visibly watched the confidence and energy drain from him as the season has gone on, yeah. haven't we? You know, I mean, at Chelsea, again, we, we, we did... Uh, there was a slightly kind of um, uh, clearer formation because... Uh, Anderson came inside, yes. uh, which, um, you know, we've been saying for a long time, he, he just doesn't seem to um, have any appetite to play out wide. He just doesn't seem well, to Well, he started to with him there last night, didn't he? With yeah. four nails on, uh, as the wider yeah. one. Yeah. And um, uh, we, we, he sort of, at Chelsea, he made to non-wingers simply play on the wing. He said, for nows and Snodgrass, I want you to, you know, patrol the touchline. And they did, and neither of them has much pace. But at least they sort of stuck to their task. At Chelsea, we were quite organised, weren't we? And I mean, it was sort of a little bit of square pegs into round holes, but at least they kind of stuck to their jobs and sort of did it. Um, and uh, you either get them to do, sort of do that again and just work at sort of making them that, but... but Ultimately, they're not. They're always going to be converted wingers because they don't have the pace. Well, Fornells and Snodgrass are not lightning quick. No, but but you know, if you think about it, if you get Dion Garner back on one side, and um, the kid that came on last night, who's Holland, Holland, decent, isn't he? You know, mm. who really does have pace. It, it doesn't matter to me that he's not. He's played about thirty seconds of Premier League football. But they, these both have pace um, to burn. Yeah. And if that's going to make it, then it's going to make it because we all know the value of out-and-out pace at top-flight football. Yeah. Even if your delivery is not great, you can learn that. You can practice it and you can become a better crosser of the ball. But you're, you can't learn pace. It doesn't matter how many sprints no. you do. If you don't have afterburners, you don't have afterburners. Yeah, that's right. And the other great thing about pace is that you're likely, if you push and run past the player, you're likely to draw the foul, yeah. a sending off, a penalty, and it has huge advantages all over. So, um, and, and, and he's a real the, thing. The other thing about Antonio, who does have that pace, he, he has got after I agree. Played as a central striker where he's got to play a lot with his back to goal. Yeah. You're negating the, the strength of him. Because, because, that is, because he's, no, he's never a centre-forward. Never in a million and, years and is what, he a centre-forward. What is really, I think, troubling is that we are all, you know, lifelong West Ham fans, and I don't want to do the maths, but it's probably between us, well, in it, it's coming up about 150 years of collective support of West Ham, yeah. and, and therefore probably about 125 years of total suffering. <laughs> but putting that aside for a minute... Um, we'll go and we're all intelligent and, and quite articulate and erudite and think we understand football. And I think we do. And if we can see it, how on earth can Manuel Pellegrini not see that the way forward is a two because you have Alaire, who is great with his back to goal, and Antonio, who is great when he's facing the goal. Yeah. yeah. I mean, blimey. Yeah, this yeah. is not rocket science. I'm not asking Pellegrini to invent, reinvent the fucking wheel. I'm not asking him to be um, Ron Greenwood, no. who's invented the near 
post-cross back in 1962 before anyone else even thought about it. Martin Peters ghosting in from behind mm-hmm. a cloud. <laughs> you know, I'm not asking Pellegrini to do that. This is really basic bloody stuff here. And that he cannot see it, or if he can, refuses to do it or implement it, yeah. means that the time really is up. Uh, I mean, you know, um, uh, the uh, Jabbo a couple of weeks ago who has played a lot of football in his, uh, um, you know, 18 years or whatever playing, has, has seen the situation where uh, a bunch of players run out onto the pitch with a system that they don't believe in. And mm. they sort of say to the manager, yep, okay, all right, I'll do that. But basically, with their eyes, they're saying, it's not going to work. It didn't work last week. It's not going to work. I, I, and I that think feels that's like... where we are. I think that's absolutely where well, we are. Well, we've seen it before. Player, I, think, I think the players just, they're going out there and they think, oh, well, this isn't working. We, we, don't, we go one nil down the body language when they concede. I mean, as you, say, you, know, you said earlier on in the, uh, in the pub, you know, when, when, when we conceded the equaliser, we were still on top in that game. We'd been on top in that game. They, were the, you know, they, 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 they produced one bit of good pacey football. It was their first shot on target. Really? You know, and he took it, and he took it well. And it was, you know, okay, so we, we, we shouldn't have conceded that goal. You just get back up and, and, and get back on it. We, we, yeah. We're still the better, we've still been the better team on the night, even though we haven't played one well ourselves. Uh, but we just crumbled, crumbled because yeah. once yeah. we conceded, that you looked around, there were slumped shoulders. It was this kind of sense, but oh, this shit, is, we've lost it now. What, what troubles me about it is that this is like um, a recurring nightmare. Um, What we're seeing this season, unfortunately, is nothing new. We saw the same in season two and season three of Slaven. Yeah. And we've seen it before. And it is this conceding of three goals or sometimes more in a 20-minute period. And some of the results in the past few weeks have given our performance a respectability it doesn't deserve. Mm. So Spurs ran away. 3-0, 3-0, we scored two late goals. Newcastle, 3-0, we scored two late goals. We never looked like actually getting back no, into those games. No. But when you look at the scores next day in the paper, and it says West Ham 2, Tottenham 3, West Ham 2, Newcastle 3, to the uninformed eye, you think, well, that must have been Looks quite close. a good game. Yeah, it must have yeah. been close. Those games were nowhere near close. No. We should have been trounced handsomely by both Newcastle and Tottenham and the fact that it's happening at home and I know it's not where our heart lies but it is technically our home Mm. and you have 57,000 plus people willing you to win however pissed off they are with the surrounds I'm sorry that's simply unacceptable and that has got to change but it's been going on now for far too long under too many managers, mm. it's the same old thing, it's a recurring theme, and there's got to be a rot there for that to happen, because a well-organised, well-drilled, determined team does not week after week after week concede three goals or more in 15 or 20-minute periods. Just simple as that, it no. doesn't happen. And in the last, the last season, and a little bit the season before, we were starting to develop a little bit of a fortress London stadium thing. We, would, we were doing quite yeah, well at home. Yeah, we were starting yeah, to, we were starting to yeah. uh, look like a good home side, and you know, actually starting to have a bit of home advantage advantage um you know uh, sometimes it feels like 
when there's a, a kind of a malaise in the dressing room, something has gone toxic in the dressing room, the, the change of manager is basically what a, a kind of displacement uh, thing that sort of sacrifices. You're basically scapegoating a person to fix, you know, the problems in the dressing room. And it feels like... Um, Pellegrini seems unable to uh, cure the kind of downward slide of Felipe, Felipe Anderson and Haller, uh, and, and it is those attacking players that but, we're going to have to work out a system for them I, to I, put what, the ball what in. Worries me, what worries me about all of this is that there are terrible parallels for me with the um, season we got relegated under Avram Grant. Oh, yes. yes. And, and what sticks out yeah. is, I'm sure everyone remembers, in the season that we got relegated under Grant the three-all draw at West Brom, where we were 3-0 down at half-time, and very famously announced that Scott Parker did the team talk, and we ended up 3-all. And last week, or 10 days ago now, very well publicised that at Stamford Bridge, Mark Noble did the team talk. Now, I I think Scott Parker was a fabulous player for us and a great captain, and I think Noble's well, he's just Mr West Ham. But I'm sorry, it should not be your player giving the team talk to G up the rest of them. That is what Manuel Pellegrini is being paid his 10 million quid a year for. And I'm sorry, it's just not good enough and it shouldn't be that way. And you can't imagine, can you, that at Liverpool, that anyone other than Klopp delivers that team talk. No. Or even wherever, where it's Man United or Chelsea or Tottenham, that anyone other than Mourinho delivers the team talk. And I don't care whether it's Harry Kane, well, he couldn't deliver a team talk. I mean, he might have to start about half past one to get the words out by three o'clock. Sorry, Harry. You can't have everything in life, can you? And thank God for that. There is a God, because it's equal, because you can't open your mouth and speak. Um, doesn't matter how many goals you score in a season. So there is some good somewhere. But bleat over on that one. But it shouldn't be your player no that's what the manager's there for so it looks like um uh you know basically it feels like saturday is going to be the sort of acid test and um uh i i i you know i'm i'm not hopeful uh, about saturday well the only the only hope the shred of hope you have is that you know they are they are pretty wretched themselves. Uh, dreadful. But do you think, I mean... It, it, but it, they've got Ings now with a bit of, on a bit there of... Was still, there will still be... Haven't they? You know. Well, we'll come to that game sort of, you know, perhaps at the end of the podcast when we make our predictions. But, but um, you know, if, if, say, we did sort of get a draw or perhaps even a win, uh, do you think it would be another sort of papering over, papering over of the cracks? Yes, in some ways. I mean, in some ways I was feeling, well, in that Tottenham game, I was thinking in a kind of weirdly masochistic way, I was thinking, oh, if you beat a six or seven now, as you look like you could do if you really wanted to, um, be that it. would be it. Yeah. And in a way, put us out of our misery. Um, yeah, that, that, that kind of those, those results that are flattered to, to, uh, to deceive. Yeah. And, yeah, no, I, I, that's it. I think, you know, we might get something out of the Southampton game. I think it's going to prolong the agony. I don't, I don't you know, I think the malaise is deep seems to be deep-seated. Do, do you think... I mean, there is a, there is a kind of a, a, a strand of thinking that um, the fundamental problem is, is Golden Sullivan. And perhaps, in, uh, perhaps yeah. in the big picture it is. But, I mean, is there, is there any more... 
they could have done with Pellegrini. I mean, they, they, they have bought players. They've I bought think, players think, in two summer windows. Yeah, and, no, yeah. You know, they, yeah. they, they got Manuel Pellegrini, who mm. ran his Real Madrid and won the Champions League. There's a, quite a lot of, um, oh, they've done everything wrong. Well, those, you know, certainly the last season's results, I, had we not lost I, those four, I, I top mean, fours, we could have been about seventh. Uh, right. And, and, and if it, the referees hadn't sort of nicked yeah, the um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Leicester. Yeah, and but if my aunt and, had ball, yeah. she'd be my yeah. uncle. Sure. Yeah. But I mean... But, I think it's an interesting point. I mean, I, I think in long term, uh, I, you know, I was always against the move. Uh, I don't, I, you know, I, I, I have a degree of sympathy with the people who, who, who um, don't trust them as, as, as owners. However, I would say that, it, you know, most people who are, who are, you know, great decries of them were very enthusiastic about yeah, Pellegrini, Pellegrini being brought in and there was a sense that they you know and and Husserlos coming in as a sort of director of football and and them stepping back from making public pronouncements about the tra- leaking information about tra- all that seems to actually sort of to have to happen which is what everyone was sort of kind of wanting and they did you know they have they have you know, um, forked out for um, for players that we were very excited about. Yes. I remember there was in the a lot summer, of, there we was, were very excited about those players. There was a lot of fury when it looked like uh, the Felipe Anderson deal might go away. People were like, a typical Sullivan and Gold, yeah. balls it up yeah. again. And similar with Alea, they've balls that up, yeah. they've balls that up. Yeah. Then the then the transfer happens yeah. and they're delighted. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. uh, and so, I mean, on the so face of it, they've done the kinds of things that people wanted them to do, haven't yeah. they? Yeah, yeah. So, so but the problem is, though, and I'm a huge detractor of the pair of them. I think they're, yeah, well, I think they're disgusting individuals. Yeah. And, you know, I know a lot of West Ham fans will even know what the hell I'm talking about. But if you actually think that notwithstanding his one plus billion pounds that he's got behind him in assets and cash, that David Sullivan is some sort of um, philanthropist, just read about Mary Millington and see what an absolute scumbag that man was. But... Um, Moving on and getting myself out of the 70s porn scene for a moment. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all short-termism. And I think that what they did with Pellegrini was really to say, look, um, we're now going to run this club by passing the responsibility. So we're going to appoint a man who's won the Premier League. You can't complain about that, you lot. He, we've got a Premier League winner here. And we're going to pass it all on to him. So we're not going to make the decisions. He is. And all you do, therefore, is you just duck it. You shirk it. Yeah. And that, I'm sorry, is not the role of people who want to run their, their football club as, as they, they, they believe it is. And it quite clearly is their club. Let's make no mistake about it. Whether you bring in Uzelos or whoever else... To sign the players. It's short-termism. And if you think about it, Pellegrini, it sounds great. You speak about Real Madrid. He won the Premier League with Manchester City just with um, access to more bloody cash than exists in the world because he didn't run a football club. He ran a vile sovereign state posing in light blue shirts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry. Let's get it real here. You know, any one of us around this table could have won the league that year with Manchester City with the money at our disposal. Not a terribly difficult thing to do. What's difficult is to take an average size club, develop players, make really good transfers in, and then get it running. Yeah. And that's not what Pellegrini has any track record for Villarreal? in England. Yeah, but the problem is it's Villarreal. And I, I'm... 
I don't want to sound xenophobic about any of this because I'm not, but it's a different game in Spain. No, no, exactly. You know, this is the Premier League, and the worst thing is, look at he, you've got to remember his second season at Man City. They were absolutely woeful defending that title. Chelsea won a title that they were nowhere near winning, but they did because Man City fell apart. And that's what, that's yeah. what began the end for Pellegrini. Um, he went to China. I'm, uh, for me, the jury was always out. I never got sold on it because, and my long-standing criticism of, as they're called within the club, DS and DG, um, is that there's never been a clear, present strategy and view and vision for what West Ham United Football Club should be about. You know... I have a different view to you guys about moving out of Upton Park. I had no problem with it. But I didn't want to move into a big bowl. Um, it's, and, and that catchphrase, which will haunt them, a world-class stadium for a world-class team. Yeah. We have got neither. And the truth is, we would have suffered the non-world-class stadium if we had anything like a world-class team. That's what they promised we're now in the fourth season there in yeah. that stadium, and we are no closer now to having anything that could even be considered a world-class team than we were probably 25 years ago. No, this is hugely disappointing, isn't it? I mean, the, the sort of the uh, changing, you know, changing our downward trajectory with caretaker manager uh, David Moyes. Then last season was there was some good football, and uh, it, it, you know, was not a bad season. And we've backslid yet again uh, after we did, uh, after a our uh, wonderful final season at mm. Upton Park, we, we backslid again. Yep. And, you know, for every step forward, it's two steps back. Um, one thing that, you know, feels um, very worryingly present to me is that the sort of managerial roundabout seems to have left sort of no one I can think of who you'd have come in. And it does seem that, like, this is, this is the moment when it, when, when it feels like just everybody's had to go. I mean, Nigel Pearson's going to... Who's he going to? Watford. 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 You know, Nigel well, Pearson's that, going that, to... That's their championship yeah, manager that, yes. put in place Correct. already, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. They've accepted Because, I mean, Nigel Pearson, down. what a blast from the past. It's like, for um, him he, to kind of get He's the manager another. to get them back up and rebuild in the championship. I mean, yeah. I wonder... But, we, we, but, but I wonder what we'll do. And it sort of feels like um, this, is, this is exactly the sort of situation where um, a director of football would sort of seem to be a good thing to have because... Once you've exhausted the, the reserves of potential managers you can get, at least as a, a director of football might be someone who's looking abroad, well, I think, I who's think exciting, it, I think you who's need to coming look at up it in the Spanish A league. different way. We've got to look at it from where we are. Obviously, to get rid of Pellegrini is going to be very expensive, but, you know, you sign the contracts, you have to honour them. Reality is, we need to win, what, eight games for the rest of the season to stay up. That's the, that's, that's the stark reality. I think, I think they'll gamble. I, I don't think they'll get rid of him. I think they'll gamble that they'll, they'll do that. And they're I, also looking at the table and thinking, and looking at results and thinking, basically, Watford, Watford and Norwich, you've probably got two yeah. dead ducks. So you, they're, they're going to gamble that of, the, of the kind of horrible scrap that's going to take place between us, Southampton, Villa, maybe Everton, although they might get out of it. Um, uh, possibly, well, one or two other teams, Newcastle might, but they've. they've, they've got what I was going to say, I, I agree with that. I think, I think, that I think that scrap. is what I think that is what they'll do. By, but I think slightly a slight variant on that is if you assume you just need to win eight games of what's left of the season, 
And I know one swallow doesn't make a summer, but I watched the Everton game over the weekend when Duncan Ferguson was there. Everton were transformed. Now, it's only one game, but those guys played for him. The crowd were massively up for it. I mean, he was mm. hugging the ball boys when they scored. Yeah. These were players who were unrecognisable from the thrashing they got in, at Liverpool only four nights earlier. Um, how did he do it? It's because it's Duncan Ferguson. Yeah. And we were talking before about Ginger. There are people out there, and I, and I don't think it takes a lot of coaching here, it's, I think it's getting someone in for the short term who can carry them purely on verve and passion and a love of the club. Whether it's Ginge, even little Joe Cole. I know this sounds bizarre. He's done his badges. You know, but at the elite level, in truth, you know, the managers shouldn't be teaching and doesn't have to teach Felipe Anderson, how to take a bleeding corner. No. If he doesn't know how to take a bleeding corner, then he shouldn't be playing for West Ham in the Premier League. And a lot of it, I think, is just picking people up and giving them confidence. Even, I know that sounds bizarre, going back just for the rest of the season to Harry and say, just carry them through. We'll pay you 10 million quid. Just keep us up. If he knows how to do it. Yeah. And then move forward because I'm... F- I'm frightened that in the theory with which I agree, Jim, that you just set out, how I believe the board will look at it, that unfortunately, in that dogfight, we are not going to survive under Pellegrini. That's my fear. No. There is no turnaround it's here. A, it's, a, it's a risk. It's definitely a high risk. Yeah, I mean, we... we um, uh, you know, it feels like it's fixable. That team has played well. As yeah, you say, it's a absolutely. lot of the same players as last season. Absolutely. You know, um, the goalkeeper's some, coming back. The goalkeeper's coming back. Come back. There's, there's, um, what it needs is a couple of sort of, um, cosmetic, uh, and easy fixes. One is, I think, is trying a different formation, to try a different formation. I mean, Christ, that's what football managers are supposed to do is try different formations every now and again. A lot of football managers switch formation inside of a 90 minute football match. It's not, you know, it's not a, a bizarre, you know, finding the cure for cancer. It's a well, thing that you can actually do inside of a got, half of a football match. You've got sitting in the director's box every week as their guest. The, the one person has the best managerial record in the history of West That's Ham right. United. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I was sort of jokingly saying, let's get him back sure. again. Uh, you know, the other thing as well is, is um, you know, like someone could come and coach them on set pieces. It's like, you know, we, we've... we've Ogbonna's a good header of the ball. And, like, you know, if we, if we could drill a couple of... That Sheffield United game, we, we must have had eight corners in the first half of that I know, game. I know, I And remember. we did nothing with them. And we, worse Absolutely of all, we nothing. didn't look like we were no. going to do anything with we them. We didn't seem to have a plan for corners. Didn't seem to have a plan. They got one corner and put the ball in the net yep. because we, it created absolute mayhem in our penalty area. Um, and, you know, I think that's an easy fix. It's like we've got, we've got you know, Diop bewilderingly can't seem to head a football despite being seven foot three. Uh, but Ogbonna can. And, you know, Sam Allardyce's uh, back post knockdown from James Tompkins got us five or six goals, I would say. I agree. You know, and, and so someone to kind of go, change the formation, do this, uh, let's work on some set pieces. Um, 
that's going to get you some points straight away. And as you say, we've really just got to win eight games, haven't we, yeah. in the second half of the season? It's got half be a the l- season to do it. Lot easier said than done. Do you imagine, Jim, that they will stick with him? It feels like he's... I do, I do. I for think, the rest think, of the season? Um, I think unless be- things become sort of so toxic in the stadium, if, home, if we continue to lose games at, at home... If we, lose, um, if we lose. Yeah, I think maybe one mass... You know, like a really key, key, big defeat. If we get, you know, if we get beaten 6-0 by Palace on, on Boxing Day or something like that. Or really bad. I suspect we might get really badly turned over by Leicester. When on you the 28th, yeah. When they, what they did to Southampton, you know. I mean, that could really... Yeah, an 8 or a 9 nil at home, I think that, that would be, would be that the That would end. be curtains, mm. I think, yeah. I suspect. Um, but the press are... But I, I think they'll try and hang on. I think they're looking at that table. They're looking at Norwich and, and, mm. and what we say. Right, those, those two have gone. But the, so... Uh, you know, but the press and social media have been talking about Saturday for a while. Yeah, They've been talking as, about as the South Hampshire as a, as a, cruncher, as a yeah. kind of, Well, you know, you know, they might be right. They might know, be right. You know, uh, I, I, I just got a horrible yeah. feeling that, you know, they bodged getting rid of Grant, didn't they? They tried to get... It was that the season when they tried to get um, Martin, Martin O'Neill? O'Neill. Yeah. And it kind of leaked it. Yeah, it leaked and, it, leaked and, it, and, right. and it all got wrong. It got, went wrong. But they have form for this because they, they, when they're at Birmingham... You know, they got relegated by not getting rid of the manager when they should have got rid of the manager because they pretend that it's actually loyalty when it's not. It's saving them a few quid because they don't want to pay out the mm. contracts. Yeah, you know, is. look how Tottenham reacted under Poch. You know, I remember listening to that. I was driving back from court. Yeah. Um, it was live on the radio. Poch has been sacked. Tottenham fans absolutely swarming the airwaves outrageous Daniel Levy's a shit he's a this he's a that he fucking hates us he doesn't love us he hasn't got a clue Six, 12 hours later Mourinho's now in charge I don't hear a single no. shout out at White Shite Lane for fucking Pochettino. He's no. dead, he's buried, and he's gone because Daniel Levy knows how to run a football club. They did and it that's once what before, you didn't need they? to do. They sacked someone else after about seven games. So it was that Spanish guy? Was it Ramos yeah, or something? Yeah, Ramos. He and who came in after him? Harry. Yeah. Was it, oh, that was, was the Harry? season yeah. when they had two yeah. points from eight games. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. it was one day Ramos, yeah. and they yeah. got rid of I mean, he was a terrible appointment in the first place. Yeah. But. Couldn't go on any further, and before it was too late, brought in uh, Harry. I, I, no, I, I agree. I mean, I think they should be ruthless, and, and, and you know, it should have gone by now. But um, anyway. We're going to have to wrap this up. Uh, well, we're playing Southampton the weekend. I mean, they are, they are having massive problems, Southampton. But, but they've they? got a goal scorer who's yeah. scoring goals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Absolutely. Which yeah. we have Yeah. Well, and also, you know, um, um, the Ward Prowse is good. They've got some good players, I think. They They've have. Got some decent players. You know, Nathan Redmond's they a good have. player. But yep. they, you know, they, 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 you know, they, they've got their own worries. So yeah. it, it, it should be, it's, we it's, should be right in that game. We've got a battle. We've got to be determined. We've got, to, we've got to put in a performance like we did at Chelsea. And we've got to and not like we did at Wolves. And, not uh, like and you know, did. our most recent away performance. Or Burnley. Was pathetic or Wolves. Burnley. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So, I mean, you know, we're not holding out much hope. Uh, let's have predictions. Jim. 1-1. Uh, 1-1. One, one. Simon? I'm afraid I think we're going to lose 2-0. I've got a very bad feeling about it. I'm, I'm going to say, I, I, one of these, uh, I, got, I, got, I got an away Southampton right once with uh, 1-3. So it feels like I should... Uh, Southampton 2, West Ham United 3. Just one further thing. Yes. Um, at least I can make one confident prediction. That come what may... We will not be losing to Liverpool at home Saturday after next. And I thank Liverpool Football Club 
for qualifying for the most unimportant trophy in world football because <laughs> yeah. it means we don't have to play them Saturday after next. And so, no. therefore, we cannot be beaten by them as soon as this Saturday after next. Yeah, yeah. That's very, please, <laughs> very pleasing, isn't it? What a relief. Yes, it's it's coming sometime. Yeah. yeah, but <laughs> you right. know what they say. To end on that, a wonderful note of optimism. <laughs> uh, um, we can really sort of look forward to the future with a spring in our step uh, after that p- piece of excellent news of a match deferment. Uh, <laughs> that's what we're clinging to that's now. That's the best thing that's West happened Nash. this year. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, uh, this has been Stop Hammer Time. My name is Phil Whelans. With me have been Jim Grant. Cheerio. Simon Pentel. Good night and thank you very much. Come on, you irons. This is a Playback Media production. Get all the associated links for this podcast at westhampodcast.com. Sports Social Podcast Network.